Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast. I'm Joe Bullmore, the editor of Gentleman's Journal, and I'm joined this afternoon by Ollie Debu, a man often described as the darling of the London food scene, and now, of course, head chef at Hyde, that huge, beautiful Michelin-starred restaurant that overlooks Green Park in London. Having worked his way up through some of the most renowned and intimidating kitchens in the world, Ollie burst onto the scene with his eponymous restaurant Debu in 2012, when he was just 31. And all the brooding press portraits from around that time show you exactly what he must have been like. Serious, intense and completely dedicated. Ollie's story in that way is truly inspiring and he's one of those people who mixes ingenious creativity with a completely formidable work ethic and determination. So, in a highly enjoyable episode of the podcast recorded at Hyde, Ollie tells us about the dish that changed his career forever, what it's like to be at the mercy of the nation's restaurant critics and why Pret-a-Manger will always hold a very special place in his heart. Enjoy! But before we begin, I'd love to tell you very briefly about the Gentleman's Journal shop, our new men's style destination full of the independent brands that we love. You can find it at shop.thegentlemansjournal.com. That's shop.thegentlemansjournal.com. Head over there for special, unique releases from a fine curation of brands and plenty of picks and pointers from people in the industry who really ought to know. I'm sure you'll find something you love. Ollie Debu. Hello. Thanks very much for joining us on the Gentleman's Journal podcast. In fact, thanks for having us. Pleasure, pleasure. We're, I don't know if I belong here. I don't, I don't feel like too much of a gentleman. Well, the, the secret is, Ollie, neither do I. <laughs> so, so we're both in that together. But um, we're sitting, obviously, in the, I don't want to call them the bowels, but the depths of your incredible restaurant. Yeah, in yeah we're the, in the broken room at the moment, okay. which is... Uh, Sometimes how I feel, but all good, all good today, all good today. <laughs> what happens in the broken room? Uh, yeah, misbehaving in general. Okay. It's, it's a room for four, tucked away. I think I like it with our private rooms. There's no minimum spend. Um, yeah. yeah, in some places they, they sort of make them a bit more of a premium. So some people want to be in the dining room, but equally if you want your own space, whether it's for just catching up with mates mm. or dinner with your partner or business meeting, whatever it yeah, is, yeah, yeah. It's, um, there's, there's the option for it. It's 10am now mm-hmm. for, for anyone who's listening. And I mean, my idea of a chef's lifestyle mm. is that actually you're working all the time. You're working 18 hours a day. Do you get time off? What, what's your kind of day like and what time did you wake up? This morning. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, well, I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old, wow. so usually whenever I wake up, it, it begins with a begins with a six. Um, <laughs> and even on days off, sadly, now, uh, yeah. lions are a bit of a thing of the past. But, um, yeah, make breakfast for them. Um, sometimes I'll start early. Sometimes I'll take Raphael, my son, into nursery, then go mm. in, come into work straight after that. But you win the day in the morning. That's when you you solve any problems that's when any deliveries come in and that's the biggest chunk of time is from when you get in to lunchtime you prep for the day then if you think about it there's very little time between the last customer leaving for lunch and the first customer arriving for dinner yeah plus the chefs need to have a little break get eat some lunch themselves so you win the day in the morning and uh luckily over the years managed to make it a bit more manageable. Mm. I think early days at Debu, there was it was a tiny kitchen, and and that was my first restaurant. There was more work to do than space to put 
yeah. chefs. So we just had to start early and finish later. But nowadays, all the chefs at Hyde, they work three doubles. So it's still early start, late finish. So they get in around half seven, eight, finish around 11 o'clock at night. But it's just three days a week. Then they have a single shift, okay. which is kind of regular eight till four or four till midnight. And then they have three full days off. Wow. So we're trying to make it more sustainable, trying to make yeah. it more attractive for for youngsters to get into the industry because there's been a bit of an exodus with you know, whether it's Brexit or pandemic, people looking to do less maybe customer-facing roles yeah. or less hardship maybe. For sure. Um, so we're trying to make it make it a little bit more attractive yeah. that way because there's more and more people interested in cooking or looking at, looking at it on TV, reading about it or yeah. on Instagram, but you know, less that are actually willing to put on an apron and, of and you know, walk into the kitchen. So I'm trying to make it less uh, demanding than, than what I went through yeah. uh, 20 years yeah, ago. Definitely. I mean, that by ancient standards, that is um, incredibly progressive. Mm. We had Marco Pierre White on this podcast, which was uh, an adventure okay, right yeah, from yeah, the yeah, start. Yeah, yeah. Um, we went to his hotel out near Bath and it was... Yeah. Um, I basically just asked one question and then didn't say anything else for the entire time. And it was Easy brilliant. Gig. But, but <laughs> nice. it was actually, it's still the most listened to we've ever had. So oh, well. maybe less of me is good. But anyway, it, I mean, the, 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 <laughs> no, no correlation <laughs> there. I hope not now I'm thinking, but the conditions he described, I mean, the ones that he created, the ones that Gordon Ramsay worked mm. in under him and the ones that he was brought up in mm. were almost like medieval in the way yeah. like warlike. Yeah. I mean, I, I went through in various different places Huge amount of sacrifice. I, I don't regret it at all. It really forged a work ethic and yeah. a, a resilience and a, just, a, I guess, a, a sort of doggedness in me that I needed, especially setting up my first restaurant. But, you know, there's some days you'd do 10 days in a row. Some days I'd start at half four in the morning. Yeah. Um, days when fish didn't come in, I'd get up at five, drive somewhere to pick it up, mm. and then drive to work and be prepping it hour and a half later uh, I worked for free for about eight months yeah. six days a week and you know every top restaurant in Europe and yeah just completely subjugated my <laughs> 20s to my craft and career yeah. and it was never about the money I could earn that, that was always a just an afterthought as long as I had enough to survive it was all about becoming the best version of myself or the mm. best chef that I could be in and giving myself the tools that I, I needed to eventually set up my own restaurant, which is always my aim. So yeah. uh, they were talking about, is it 10,000 hours to be good at anything? And uh, you can do them in a condensed manner or yeah. you can spread them out. And I always took it that if we had to work later, so sometimes after service, you'd have to prep the next day. Mm. And when I was starting out, maybe you're, I'd be on hot starters and fish section would need various ravioli fillings, whatever it is made and you would stay on to do it. And I, I was like, brilliant. I've, this isn't my section. I'm getting to learn something yeah. new, albeit at 1am yeah. you know, having been here for 16 hours, but I always saw, saw it as, uh, as learning as much as I could in the, in the shortest possible time. Cause you need to attack it when you're yeah. young, you don't want to be, you know, uh, starting, you know, at my age now. No, no. But I guess, and that's a competitive advantage, really, because there's probably not many people who are willing to do 16 hours and then tack on another two hours at the end of that. Yeah, I the, the, the drop-off rate is um, does exist in, in cooking where people tap out to do something simpler or be 
attracted to a different career. That Why is, didn't that you is drop understandable. off? Um, I think I always had a sort of tunnel vision and only ever wanted to do one thing, mm. which helps and probably rubbish at a lot of other things. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, limited, uh, limited options perhaps. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's sad to see because you do, yeah, there's, there's nothing but empathy there when you're in a, a demanding kitchen you're looking at the people to your left and to your right and yeah. you want them to do well. And it's sad because you see people maybe fall out of love with yeah. something that they did once love. Because uh, cooking at home is utterly different to cooking in a professional kitchen. So the things that maybe attracted you in the first place yeah. are things that you don't find in a in a professional kitchen. Yeah. You don't see people's reaction as they eat the food and enjoy it. You don't always make a dish from start to finish. Maybe you make one component one of that dish. It all just comes together on the past, maybe someone else assembling it, yeah. and then it disappears to the customer. So um, what is it that you... This, this that's my exact... That was going to mm. be my question. Like, the satisfaction I get on the rare occasions I cook mm. is sitting down afterwards with the people I've yeah. cooked it for. So there's it's a whole experience from beginning to end. Mm. Buying the ingredients, you know, it's completely different, obviously. So what do you actually find that, that you get out of it? What did you get out of it at the start, and what do you still get out of it yeah, now? Yeah, so... The initially, the biggest attraction you know, when you walk into the kitchen is that atmosphere, the buzz, yeah. you know, being being part of that. Then it's probably the ingredients, what you work with, you know, when you first walk into a professional kitchen, there's a different level to the mm. stuff you can get on the on the high street now. Then it's learning the technique and, yeah. and mastering something that, that's, again, boosts your confidence and keeps you motivated. And then, you know, as you get interested with more responsibility, your status in the kitchen grows a little bit. So you may be held in a different regard by your, your colleagues, um, respected a little bit more. And then there's complete codependency where when a kitchen runs really well and everyone gets on. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, that's, that's, again, a very beguiling uh, proposition. Uh, something to be, to be part of a, a winning team. Yeah. It's something that I always try and instill here, that sense of positivity i think we cook some amazing foods yeah. amazing dishes and want people to to have that sense of you know being in the you know the liverpool the man cities yeah. you know of, of the kitchen world and and appreciating that so those are all the things that i took out of being in a in yeah. a hard kitchen so debu was obviously your big breakthrough restaurant the first mm. one you run and you, you were very young then but let's trace the kind of the point to point mm. of your career before that, you worked uh, fifteen in a little trattoria in, in Italy. Yeah, yeah. What so, did you learn there? What was that? Oh like? my god! Just uh, fell in love with the produce. My god! It was uh, yeah. That's about fifteen. So it was twenty five years ago, rather now. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was amazing produce and homemade pasta. It was it was the Italian restaurant that you dream of finding on holiday. Yeah. It's packed every night. I think it's third or fourth generation now. Doesn't have a website. You know, is amazing. that popular? It just doesn't, doesn't need one. Where is it? Is Can you tell us where it is? Or yeah, is this... so it's called Trattore Camillo. Uh, it's on, oh, uh, in Bo Florence? Yeah, Borgo oh San Jacopo. So just north, north of the, uh, the Arno. Yeah. Um, so between the Ponte Vecchio and the Ponte Santa Trinite. You were there? That's amazing. amazing. Yeah, yeah. So it's wow. sort of three little annexing rooms. So my uncle was a waiter there back in the day. And yeah, I was free labour, obviously. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Was there the next holiday job was at Kensington Place when Roly Lee okay. was in the kitchen. Then I did a couple of months at Guy Savoy in Paris. I was doing French A-level, so that 
that helps. That was Did when, you speak that was French? France won the World Cup. Oh, yeah, right. I could speak wow. it very well then. I'm a bit, bit rusty now. And then, uh, so that was an amazing time to be to So be that in was in Paris. that summer when it that was Paris 98. 98. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I started cooking at Le Manoir on my 20th birthday. Did four years there. Uh, never went to Cajun College. And that was probably one of the best decisions that mm. I made, just get my foot in the door, start at the bottom, try not to get sacked and work yeah. my way up. Uh, yeah, covered every section in there and obviously left on re- really good terms. And, and were you working directly under Raymond Blanc? Was he, was he still there or oh, is he still? On many echelons underneath many him. Echelons, but, many uh, echelons, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, he, he, he was he there. Was, he was there and Gary Jones, the head chef, and they're, they're people I consider friends today. Wow. Uh, RB, be invested in my first, in, in Dubu. RB. Yeah. Is that what the... the RB, yeah, that's, okay. yeah. That's what they yeah. call him. Yeah, so <laughs> he, uh, yeah, no, they're great mentors and and it's it's great when you're, yeah, if an idol becomes a friend, that's mm. a, an amazing yeah. thing and a very sort of humanising thing. So, no, they're, they're both had a massive impact on, on my, my journey. Then went from there to Hibiscus in Ludlow. So that was Claude Bossy's restaurant when he was, he's obviously now in uh, uh, the Michelin building, uh, mm. Bibendum. And he had, he had a restaurant back in Ludlow then, so did a year there. Then went to, to Magritte's in Spain and staged uh, over the years a sort of Noma, Fat Duck, Pierre Gagnier. Uh, did a couple of days at Umil actually. I'd never done Japanese cooking. So wow. I was a couple of days there. And then, so all over really. And then, Went to Textures Head Chef. Uh, that was run by uh, Aggie Sferenson. And it was, it was my first head chef role and yeah. first position and in And how London. old were you at that point? I was 26 okay. then. So. Is, that, so, is that unusually young? It was. I didn't feel it at the time, actually. Because I didn't really have years. any barometer. I just got my head down and yeah. never really... And never really comparing yourself. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. So, never really comparing yourself no. or ages. You just, I don't know, just... just had a had a sort of destination that I was looking to get to. It wasn't wasn't rushing it, but equally, why not? It was. It was, it was I always thought it was a bit like boxing. You don't, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of like an all or nothing. You don't yeah. just think, oh yeah, I want to be a journeyman. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah, you either you aim can... to be a world champion yeah. or, or not. And, yeah. and I think with cooking, it's kind of a similar similar thing in terms of like getting your own restaurant or whatever it, it may be. So, and then from there to Dubuque. Uh, yeah, they, it was it was actually quite disheartening. So I'd done a couple of years at Texture, set it up, and it was great seeing an opening, being part of it, and also being part of a sort of lighter food style. But you know, back then, it was still very quite heavy, quite bourgeois. Mm. Um, and so doing something more vegetable-based, lighter sauces, all these things was, was good. But yeah, after I finished there, it was a struggle making that transition from having a clear idea of the restaurant you wanted to create and having the funds and the yeah. site to do it. And there's no easy manner to, to raise financing. When you're when you're a chef, it's not like you're mixing with no. hoi polloi, with cash that they can invest in, in what's seen as a risky proposition. And similarly, with landlords, why yeah. would they pick me over Pizza Express? Yeah. You, you know, or whoever yeah. it may be, a high street chain with... So getting the money together and getting a site and they're also completely codependent was tricky and there, there were times when I looked at my CV and you think you've invested all this time made all this sacrifice and all your 
friends are going to uni getting drunk and misbehaving yeah. you know, and not or, really, you know. <laughs> yeah not really doing any work at all yeah, yeah probably yeah, not yeah. Yeah. it's a complete joke so, so um so did you have that kind of sense of missing out on on, on youth or on some of the rites um, of passage no because i felt felt satisfied in what i was doing and that i couldn't be achieving yeah more or learning more so i think it's one of the most fortunate things in the world if people know what they want to do yeah it sometimes yeah, takes yeah, people yeah. all their life and then they realize too late that they should have been the chef or the, yeah. the writer or something so i guess if you know why would you not just pedal attack it yeah yeah, yeah no, no no exactly exactly yeah. so i think if anything it did make me value my time off even more and i'd go and you know visit visit friends nearby yeah. at, at uni and also with chefs you you do you do go out and you, you hit it hard when, 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 when you do have that, that time. Yeah. So, especially in, in Great Milton at Le Manor Cats as well. Yeah. It was because um, you, you're not, you know, you're not really near Anything. near London you or whatever. Tame. So you, you make your own fun. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a lot, lot of house parties. A lot of house parties. Um, going messy house parties. Yeah. Going on in very bucolic English villages. Yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful village. It is gorgeous. I, I, I wonder what it was like... Um, because it's quite an imposing. It's a beautiful country property. Mm. It probably was one of the most famous restaurants mm. at that time in in the country, if not the world. Yeah. And you come in there. We, I mean, do you have imposter syndrome on that first day? Is it? Oh terrifying? my god, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I barely spoke unless was was spoken to, and it was probably to apologise <laughs> or yeah. say yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that head down and just uh, the one thing that that is. Um, reassuring with with kitchens though is that they are meritocratic and mm. you think i can make up for any shortage of skills with just hard work and mm. with people seeing that i can't give any more and i think if if that is visible yeah if you're working with pace with intention you know you can't yeah you know, it's hard to be hard to be angry with yeah. with someone so i'd uh, early days I'd, yeah just tried to uh work as hard as I could and, and just learn as, as much as I could but yeah. also at that stage you're not being entrusted with any particularly technical jobs that you earn that responsibility of course and, and also you should really relish it some people would be suddenly given that responsibility yeah. and you'd see that it, it really makes or breaks people yet some people are I don't you know Can't run, do running a section or having that yeah. that level of of pressure because it's funny you look back I think I was yeah, running the fish I was 22 ordering probably hundreds of thousands of pounds of fish a year but you never really think about it because it's just your day to day yeah. existence it's only now with a bit of distance you think, oh, yeah, I was quite a lot for a young kid that hasn't been to catering college or yeah. anything so, so but best best place to learn on the job I tell any young chef work in the best kitchens yeah and just um be prepared to, yeah, subjugate your your social. Life. You, you make that decision early, and then you live with yeah. it. If you if you're constantly resenting being yeah. at work, then you know you have your your mind isn't that perspective isn't there. You need to accept make the decision, ex- make that decision, move on, make that decision, and and, and yeah. live with it. So across that whole journey, especially at places like Le Manoir, are you making notes, mental or otherwise, about the things that work, the techniques, the way people talk about food? Are you stealing tiny ideas, basically, with the idea that one day you might be the boss? Yeah, I mean, in every kitchen you go to, there's things that you think work well, things that 
don't you think don't whether that's from a managerial point of view from logistics mm. and then from a cooking point of view as well and you, you take the good and the bad from everywhere and yeah it's something that I've always probably considered um, from a managerial point of view how how to run an operation I'm quite interested if ever managed to speak to anyone that works in professional sports and was quite yeah. interested in sort of how yeah. how things go because you don't hear too much about sort of dressing rooms so from that point of view getting the best out of people every day in a very demanding scenario the one thing that often in sports though they can just bench people and there's yeah. more talent coming through I don't I don't have that luxury no. you know, I don't have a, <laughs> uh, you know ton of people coming to uh, that I can substitute you even know, now yeah people come through the door for and we've got, we've got a great time. team here but it's uh it's definitely different to three years ago yeah. um, in terms of the, the volume of, of applicants. Um, but then, yeah, the other thing is, that, I guess, the, the food style, and that's something that I'd like to think the food at Hyde has got a particular signature to it. And obviously you learn techniques from different places, but I'd like to think that I'm, well, that's something sound arrogant, that I'm more than the sum of my parts. I'm not just... yeah magpieing stuff no. and one thing that I'm proudest of I think if you if you see a plate of my food or or eat it there's a certain look certain beauty organic Definitely. charm flavour profile lightness that is sort of unique to to myself and, and to Hyde so that's something that we we work on over the years and, and evolve but yeah a mix of sort of a sort of brazen honesty or mm. that trying to showcase the the ingredient and also but adding the layers of yeah. the charm and the beauty and the deliciousness without a kind of self-serving chefy agenda yeah if that makes sense yeah absolutely so you, you opened debut in early 2012 i think yes yeah 10 years and ago. 10 years oh my Coming god up, yeah. It is. And oh, over, over. Just over like, 10 yeah. years, yeah. You're young, it's your first proper restaurant, it's in Fitzrovia, it's in, I think, probably fair to say, quite an industrial chic Yeah, space. yeah, it's, very much so. It's, you're still very much an outsider and mm. you've got your name above the door. And about two weeks in, I think you get a review from Faye Ashler in the Evening Standard, back when that was still a kind of powerhouse yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of the taste. Yeah. And she gives you five stars, which she does only a few times... Maybe a year, yeah. maybe even a decade. Yeah. Do you remember that review? I do. Utterly. Have you got it pinned somewhere? Uh, yeah, I've got. I've got. Uh, I'll keep the press clippings actually nice. from uh, from the early days. That's always a pleasure to to look back on. Um, yeah, I mean, she her review changed changed my life pretty much. Um, she's it's funny. She's obviously a powerhouse, but yeah. utterly, utterly lovely lady. Yeah. I got all the time in the world for her, and it's nice to see her as a human being rather than someone that could decide <laughs> my, my future, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was an amazing time, very raw time for me. I, I took out a huge loan. I'd have been completely destroyed financially if it didn't go well. And we nearly ran out of money before we even opened our wow. doors. So we had to open up prematurely because we needed some Just money to, to come in. There. Yeah, I think I was waiting to, from, for VAT to come back from the building work, but I think I was down to about £6,000 it was. Wow. Um, and that's with... 20 staff and oh my god so uh, that's overheads. days really that's like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Life yeah. Kind of days. um my god and so, so we, you, i mean that's amazing so a very if a few thousand pounds different we probably wouldn't be here yeah no and you would have just had to go work for someone else again uh, we, when we opened debut i had I had four teapots 
Um, <laughs> and we would frantically wash them up between, you know, wow. from someone ordering, ordering a tea. And now and then, us. There is the most <laughs> yes. amazing, extravagant glass yeah. teapot. Is that from yeah. Marriage Fra as well? The teapot itself? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the... Um, <laughs> Things have changed. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it was a pretty unique time in my life where I was utterly exposed and felt naked. It's, yeah, name on the door. You'd worked your whole life to get that window yeah. of opportunity to show what you could do but that window was so utterly imperfect because we were so short of cash yeah the thing was massively compromised in terms of the size of the kitchen and mm. the you know i mean the refit we had a tiny tiny budget so luckily got the guys uh brinkworth who do an amazing they did an amazing job so they're, they're probably best known for the for all saints stores they do raffa yeah, yeah. as well um and supreme so more retail yeah. than, than restaurant but I, I like their style and we got on really well so they <laughs> probably were very polite with my budget and <laughs> did an amazing job yeah. actually the contrast between the really feminine food and that kind of straight yeah. back aesthetic it it, that works. juxtaposition really worked and also there was nothing like it no. at the time yeah, it's back, been copied a bit since yeah 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 it's funny because it, it then became a bit bit more commonplace <laughs> but uh yeah i was gonna say i mean obviously faye gave an amazing review then we got five stars from a gill and mm. an amazing one from Giles coron and the metro yeah. so it was, it was a it was like a clean sweep and we kept our bookings line open throughout because back then it was always like a three-month window and you had to phone on like a monday at nine yeah. o'clock for these popular restaurants to get your table i was like sod that you know, let's just keep it open. Yeah, you know, so if you want to book for your birthday mm. in six months, you can you can do that or anniversary or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I didn't expect it to fill. So at one point, wow. I was fully booked for about a year in advance. At that point, I was like, okay, this is getting okay. We need to sort of stop now. <laughs> but but then, that's a complete dream, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah, like yeah, utterly from financial security. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, from being you know literally seeing the. Uh, counting the pennies to, to not having to worry about that side of things yeah. but it was just the uh, yeah it was keeping up with expectations and the, the demands were very much kitchen base mm. is full every night and or campaign parties in the bar and it was it was busier than than we ever ever dreamed yeah. and I put myself under a lot of pressure I was obviously massively self-critical and also just a single man, you know, so no, yeah. it's a different perspective to maybe what, when you're, yeah, I'm 40 with two kids and married now. Back then I was maybe just turned 30 and, and it was really the culmination of a decade of sacrifice. Yeah. And I sort of had one shot. Um, yeah. it's and once like, you've got the critical goodwill in the first month, you then want to prove to the normal people. Like, yeah. You can't yeah. just think, right, oh, rest on your laurels. Yeah. And we'd have, it was, it was amazing. So, you know, one lunchtime, there's mm. Alan Ducasse on one table, you know, Michelle Rue on another. Wow. Um, Do you go out yeah, and see some them? celebrity or whatever. Only if they ask. I didn't, I didn't, I probably should have been a bit more host-like, but I almost hid in the kitchen. It was, uh, I always wanted people to enjoy it and it's never been egotistical. It was yeah. more, you know, people that you've put on a pedestal and think, oh, I don't want to, you know, yeah, what interrupt I, their meal yeah. or, you know, it was more from a, respectful point yeah. of view and obviously more than happy to now I'm probably a bit bit older and, and thicker skinned and and uh probably 
Can I say a less fucks given on Gentleman's yeah, Journal? Please do. Okay, whatever's it going out live or not. <laughs> yeah, you sort of, uh, yeah, just get more comfortable with yourself Amazing. and just probably less less exposed. It was just that name on the door and. Do you, do you, was that a conscious thing to put taboo above it? It's a great word, by the way. Yes, yeah, so it's funny. It sounds we, good. We. I mean, it does get mispronounced a lot, but I'm uh, not that bothered about it. But it was more, uh, the thought process was, there was a bar as well, and it wanted to be not explicitly a sort of food yeah. or ingredient-driven or kitchen-type name. Right. We just wanted it to be something that we could define that was more than a restaurant, because okay. we wanted it to be a night out. There's a cocktail bar, all these things. And it's a little bit quirky. It's not like a regular... Yeah, that, that common surname, and then we started thinking, well, you got Nobu, you got Rocker. These are sort of two-syllable yeah. names that yeah. you know people are comfortable with, and both very successful. So why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, fine. I went back and read um, Giles Corrin's review yesterday. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, which is rare in the fact that he actually speaks about the food. He actually writes <laughs> about the food, which usually he doesn't do. He makes a joke about that at the end, but he says the nested egg. It was the best thing he'd ever had in his life. Yeah, no. It was, is, that, uh, is it fair to say that's the most important dish you've ever created, maybe? That's the thing that was kind of like your first yeah, breakthrough? Yeah. It, it's funny. It's, it's customers that decide the signature dish rather than mm. than the chefs. In some ways, it's not the dish that I'm proudest of or even one that encapsulates my, my cooking style. But it's uh, I think thing that people fall in love with that dish over other ones is probably the the homeliness or the the nursery element mm. to it. It's very cosseting, very comforting. So it was, it was always the third course of the tasting menu. So the first two were, were light, fresh, often cold, um, very feminine. And the third one would sort of surprise you with a hug, essentially, mm. in, in the form of that dish. So it's utterly simple. So it's cackle bean eggs, a little bit of cream, smoked butter and toasted mushrooms. And, and a pinch salt and you cook them for just over two hours at a low temperature and you you agitate them to uh to emulsify the, the fat and the egg so it's somewhere in between a sort of savory custard and a bayonets in texture so it's really mm. smooth warm and it tastes a bit like the smell of a campfire with the smoke and yeah. the earthiness from from the mushrooms and i guess because you eat it there's there's the nest there's a little bit of smoke you eat it with a small spoon as yeah. well, so it's even more... And uh, An egg is inherently quite fragile from a yeah. sort of tactile perspective, so the whole thing, I think, is, is a bit more maybe experiential than some of the other dishes mm. that, that I might have come up with that maybe I think... I mean, for me, we did another dish that was uh, a frozen sorrel leaf dusted with icing sugar, and you eat it, it's a bit like the best ice lolly. Yeah. Um, it's just that lemon sherbet flavour and again I I love anything that has such impact with a sort of minimal ingredients or technique almost yeah. so I was more impressed by the the thought of that and uh, it was quite arresting you know because the stick is the stem mm. and people just you know but it hadn't been done before as far as I was yeah. I was aware so so here we hide we jazzed it up a little bit more we did a I mean, we might pull that one out in the future, but yeah. we did did a little bouquet of herbs and flowers that we'd dip table side. Add it on a, on a little string, dip it in liquid nitrogen, wow. and then crumble it on the plate over a garden 
scented sort of granita and jelly. Yeah. It was it was a rosewater jelly and a little cucumber granita. So quite English garden wow. flavors, and then the herb, this bouquet that you'll crumble on top. Amazing. So, did um, you have any bad reviews then? Yeah, I had a couple of a couple of shockers. We had some people that just hated us on. I think because we did quite well, there was a bit of resentment that of goes with that. But their problem, not mine. Yeah, we had one. Uh, we had a, again. It was it was just one publication that uh, felt um, you needed to be taken down a peg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which yeah, yeah, it happens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So There's a target on you. So we're you we're still full, and I yeah, I always take it as a compliment in some yeah, ways. Yeah. When I look back at, I read a lot of profiles of you from that year because it was, you know, you. Oh, it's not as bonkers. You yeah. became the kind of darling of the food team. That phrase is used a lot. In fact, it's all I do with the darling <laughs> of food. But a lot of the photos of you, you look kind of brooding, you look intense. Yeah. You wouldn't want to spill your pint. You're kind of cross arm. <laughs> yeah. White. Oh, yes, yeah, so one. Yeah, a couple things. One. <laughs> In general, whenever you photograph for a, a newspaper or magazine... You don't smile. Well, they, they just want you crossing your arms or holding a knife. <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. like, that seems to be the sort of... Uh, the, what they'd want equally probably was under a you're lot intense. of... Yeah. of you know, what, yeah, what, you know, not making it more dramatic than it was, but, um, yeah, it was getting up at five-something to be in work at half six I was just, just yeah, we never any taxis or anything I put all my money into the restaurant so I was getting night bus or tube in yeah. first thing I'd literally I'd get on the tube try and find the corner seat by the sort of plastic bit and set a timer for 10-15 minutes get 10 minutes you know wow. so my alarm would go you're off you're good at and sleeping and get, yeah, oh, you can get job yeah, out yeah. and I'd wake up there's so much pressure I'd wake up at uh, 5.30 before my alarm Wow. every time every day for probably about six months I'd wake up either as it went off or just seconds yeah. before it was, yeah. yeah so it was, it was it was intense it was funny because I remember I had this sort of amazing spread in the evening standard quite glamorous or whatever and then <laughs> yeah, I, t- I went home that night and it, I remember it was it's like raining and uh, I'd had, had you know, a couple of these like I said to keep the press clippings yeah, and then yeah. I'd gone to the Pret on uh, Tottenham Court Road to buy about 20 quids of the sandwiches and yoghurt so I was just like on my day off I was just like I'm not yeah. not leaving home I'm just going to watch some movies and yeah. and uh, <laughs> have sandwiches and yoghurt or whatever I'm just not yeah I was so tired and because and it was raining so much I think uh, like the prep bag split so I'm no. there with all these you know, me have like yeah, you know, six page spread of like the new whatever chef wow. on the scene and my my existence is sort of walking back down Labrick Grove with a sort of you know oh, soggy no. prep bag and some toilet roll from work and, and uh, these press clippings so Gosh. yeah it's very it's sort of the day to day life of a show it's you know people see moments that might look glamorous or or engaging mm. but there's there's yeah, there's the day-to-day grind yeah. that people don't see. Of course. I mean, what does that do to you? Did you have functional relationships? Did you, <laughs> no, not on that. Did you ever be able to exercise? What were you... I mean, were you uh, healthy? Yes, I'd, I'd, yeah, I struggled to... You just pure to adrenaline. Get, right. Time to go to the gym. Um, yeah, diet was all over the place. Um, obviously, Pret did pretty well out on me, but... Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, very extreme... Uh, yeah, kind of existence yeah no relationships um until i met my, my sort of future wife uh, i think we've been maybe open 
in the restaurant maybe maybe two or three years okay. by, by then. Um, so yeah, the first sort of first sort of chunk of of the opening or, or whatever just mm. didn't have any reason to compromise. Yeah, no. like it would just be pure subjugation to that place. And uh, so yeah, well, it was a, an extreme existence to just work, sleep, work, sleep, or maybe you'd have a you know after work on a Saturday night. Mm. Go out. So while I was trying to raise finances, I worked in some nightclubs. Um, so I'd be free in the day for business meetings or trying to raise yeah. money um, or look at sites, and then I'd get into work and do do the sort of shift there. So I knew knew a lot of dormant or could get in. So it's funny, despite my yeah, I was paying myself not much, and but still had access to a lot of good clubs. Okay, could, uh, nice. So that was that is where you blew off steam. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Quite right too. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, the sacrifice has been more than worth it, and and the place we're sitting in now couldn't be more different to those yeah. early days of Debut. This site is, in fact, I remember when this opened in 2018, almost more was written about the space than yeah. than about the food, which is fair enough. But yeah. it's not usually what happens with restaurants. What was this place before? Because it is, and what's your kind of top line pitch to anyone who hasn't seen it? Okay, yeah, I'd, um, before it was, I think it was, it was vacant for a while. Um, and then before that, it was three different mm. ventures, a nightclub, a Lebanese restaurant, and on the, on the first floor and a ground floor, uh, I think it was a French brasserie. Yeah. So Evgeny Chichvark in the main owner had, had bought the, the premises and convert, taken it back to Shell yeah. and sort of stripped it out. And he contacted me out of the blue. He'd come for a few meals at Debus. We, we'd never met. And it was a time when uh, you know, we were looking to a second site uh, and he showed me this place and it was wow and um, the funding was there the site was there and yeah it was a bit of a no brainer in some ways other than Dabu was going like mm. exceptionally well and, and was the restaurant that I always sort of dreamed of opening but equally like I said it was very compromised in terms of space and yeah. resources so it was a chance to reinvent do something completely different and having spent the last couple of years doing fundraisers and looking at sites and all these things, there was an opportunity and a sort of, uh, I guess almost just bypass. Yeah. You know, raising funds and finding sites is... So they had the site already and they were yeah. willing to back you. Yeah. So, so you just had to come in and... Well, yeah, I mean, it's very much um, it's been a sort of joint venture because Oscar came on board and some of my chefs in yeah. front of house. Um, obviously, wine list from from hedonism but obviously a vast number of staff other than you know, beyond yeah, the team from hedonism and the yeah. team from from debut so it's very much in a brand new, new venture but it was interesting working with you know with someone else because rather you know debut it could be a bit more autocratic um i think we sort of brought different qualities mm. to the table and it was actually uh yeah multiple minds being better than than one mm. um for something this scale because i hadn't been in mayfair before i didn't know the clientele yeah. he did um so it was yeah, a very very different process to debut but one thing that was served me well was that debut had such a limited budget and did so well with it and, and such limited space but could do so many covers from mm. that space so here we yeah the most we've ever done is nearly 650 in a day wow. and uh that's you know gone from 20 staff to 120 um but all the the lack of resources at the meant we had to be super organized and very efficient yeah and you, you bring that to a bigger venue to be able to do 
breakfast, lunch, dinner. Right. Um, so it's still pretty lean. You're still running a very tight ship. Yeah, there's. I mean, the the offering is vast here. There's um, above, which is probably the the more top end of the the two restaurants. It's predicated on on a tasting menu, and is it the best expression of of what we do? Mm-hmm. And you come there, and that you know, you're not going to the theatre afterwards. No, you know, you, you're that. there. You're there for dinner or for lunch. Um, I think light, elegant, organic. And yeah, I would obviously recommend anyone to, to go there. <laughs> uh, Hyde's, which is on the ground floor, is maybe a little bit more barefoot luxury, a bit more of a, a daily or weekly luxury. You have a lot of people come regularly. Uh, the menu changes quite often. Breakfast is always packed. But again, it's there's a lightness of touch mm. and an organic approach that means it's food that you're not going to tire of eating. It's food that I think feels healthy, tastes healthy. And yeah, we're lucky to have a very regular uh, custom base. Mm. Um, but yeah, the thought process for for Hyde, like I said, barefoot luxury, a bit of an oasis in a busy part of town, and somewhere that feels like a treat, whether you're having coffee and a croissant or a seven course dinner. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of opulence, and you know, maybe exhibitionism in in Mayfair. So we wanted to approach it with a. I guess a homelier yeah. perspective. Bring the outside in. There's beautiful windows that look over Green Park, and there's sort of those elements of nature that we've mm. looked to look to bring inside the restaurant. So, I want it to feel, or I want rather guests to feel as comfortable as they are in their own home. Yeah. So you, a lot of people do dress up. You don't have to. Um, and there's, it's sort of once they want it to be everything to everyone not in a lowest common denominator way but if you want to have a business meeting and not be interrupted and and are there for nice food but they want to know where the mangoes are from (laughs) we completely respect that if you want to know everything about how we make the pastries we'll tell you and we'll show you we'll show you the bakery and so i think you know that i always think that's a sign of a good restaurant read the customer know what they want and make sure that we we give them that and more. So uh, you've got the site and the funding, which was, I guess, a luxury. And then how do you start to put together a new menu? Mm. What's the kind of R&D phase on that? Yeah, so we were, um, we were in, had a little test kitchen in Park Royal. Yeah. And this is this what, just in like a oh, So you can, or... you can rent, yeah, okay. this is a dark kitchen. Oh, like deliveries, so, like getting a Yeah, nando's. I guess a little <laughs> bit like that. So we, we bought some equipment in advance and had it yeah. delivered there, which we then had reconnected on site here down the line but yeah it was nice to have a little bit of breathing space between finishing debut and opening hide and because we knew a little bit the decor and the style i could be a little bit more ambitious mm. got a bigger kitchen bigger team because i just want to keep i mean i can only really cook in one one manner that's that that's sort of organic style but i think it has evolved over the years it was just nice having a little bit of time to consider things yeah. and, and to you know be bit more inquisitive visit suppliers and and it's a big process we've got a breakfast menu uh the menu for hide a set lunch for hide then right. a tasting menu for above and a set lunch for above then obviously the various dietaries and yeah. whatnot um so there's, there's over 100 different dishes i think we wow. had to or elements we had to come up with and, and how train many 50 don't... chefs oh, so wow. i mean i started i wrote all the menus did all the dishes and we worked with the senior team, went from one chef to got in about four or five of my top guys, 
then we got the next level down so it was yeah. basically one person teaching five five people teaching 15 then 15 people teaching yeah. 30 rather than one person teaching, teaching 45 or yeah yeah, yeah yeah be impossible so it's that sort of trickle down approach um obviously I was giving Evgeny tests of the food. He was obviously making massive financial investments. <laughs> he yeah, he, he wanted to see some, some, uh, some progress. <laughs> but I remember it was um, just made me laugh because because uh, we were in uh, doing the uh, doing the the R and D in mm. in Park Royal, and I'd just done a, a dinner for DVLA speakers. Okay. Yeah, it's an amazing sort of French company that do do these wonderful speakers. Yeah. Anyway, they'd put me on their um, on their website, and it was uh, I was on a web. It was the best screenshot I ever took. There's there was a picture of Beyonce and Jay Z that apparently own a pair. Then Will I Am, wow. and then myself. <laughs> and I remember just thinking it was so out of place. And when I someone had texted me this, and I was sat at Park Royal tube station yeah. with a bin bag of aprons for me to take home and wash for the next day and I remember thinking I'm sure the two other people or three other people yeah. on, on this web page aren't in the same predicament right the now yeah, yeah. No. that's amazing is that kind of a chef's equivalent of writer's block were you would you ever think do you ever struggle to come up with new ideas a hundred dishes yeah no well, honestly it's um I think people often say oh where'd you get your inspiration from or this or that I think it's like I'm guessing, like songwriters or mm. authors or whatever. I think people either have ideas or they don't. I think you're either creative or you're not. Um, that probably sounds a bit a bit brutal, but no, um, it's true. I think. Yeah, no, and I think I think the biggest luxury is time. When you're on, a ho- you know, you often have ideas when you, you can stop and think rather than yeah. problem solving. Or you know, if I'm if I'm prepping something, I'm unlikely I'm going to be concentrating on that then my mind is going to be thinking right after this I'm taking mm. this chopping board to that pot wash I'm taking that to there going to clean down this then what, what my next two or three jobs are yeah. I'm not thinking about the creative process I'm thinking about the mechanical no. and time efficiency so it's yeah having time to think about yeah. things also when you visit supplies that's a great one for keeping you honest it stops you getting too technical I think connecting with the food and where it comes from and seeing the backstory because we can order food so easily mm. now that you you can sometimes take for granted the where it's the labor yeah. that has gone into it the toil and it's uh it's got a deep relationship we have it with suppliers we're completely codependent yeah. um i can't operate without them or or survive financially and, and vice versa uh no one goes into fishmongery or chefing to get rich you know you do it because yeah. you love it and then if things go well then things go well but um you know i've worked with the same fish supplier for uh yeah, 20 odd years now and there's there's yeah nothing but but empathy and and again when you see the ingredient in its context whether that's the farm or the seaside yeah, it always keep, keeps you honest, as mm. I say. It stops you from being sort of technique-driven or falling into gimmickry, which I've never really gone down that route. But equally, I mean, on the flip side, you don't want to be too sanctimonious and be yeah, overly curious. sort of, you know, yeah, yeah. That there's there's bit of, um, you know, there's sort of foraging or being 
mm. localized. It can sort of sometimes um, be overly romantic, yeah. and, the, and the end result with food, like taste, is honest. I think it's it's um, something's either delicious or it isn't, yeah. and the backstory and the bullshit <laughs> can be feel like hollow yeah. compensation. And yeah, I prefer my food not served with a seasoning of sanctimony. <laughs> Not that I'm bitter of it, no, but, no, it's, but no, it's, got, yeah, it's got to yeah. be delicious. And, yeah. and is there anything you, you designed that you thought would work but actually didn't? Like, is there any kind of... Have you ever had any I'm not going to tell you about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, in... Uh, yeah, there are a couple of things that back at, at Deville. Sometimes you you reach a, a caldus. I mean, there's there's been nothing that's made it onto a, yeah. onto a menu that um you're not confident in yeah yeah the, yeah there's things that we've trialed <laughs> and and it's funny cause again you'll have an idea and you think mm. oh that's and then having it in the restaurant sometimes doesn't translate you think that's right. a great dish but it's just not right for here no. or but in general the more you know what you like and dislike and the more you're present mm. at work and visit suppliers the the quicker ideas come and the the easier they kind of uh, reach the end of the refining process yeah. and make it make it onto make it onto the menu. Um, and I think you don't need a lot to make a nice plate of food. Mm. There's A B C, maybe D and E if you're doing an a la carte <laughs> menu. But uh, it's, yeah. you know, it's I think chefs can over overthink it or try and over conceptualize things. Yeah. A little bit of that is. Is good. It adds, but it's it's the cherry on top. Right. You know, it's at the end of the day, you're cooking someone's dinner. It's got to be delicious. But then, yeah, having it come from if there's a bit of backstory in terms of being local or a supplier that you might know or an interesting technique, that's all adds depth. But that isn't singularly enough no. for a dish to stand up on no. its own two feet it's and, and like thing. I said it's got to be delicious and yeah, the rest cool. is the rest is a bonus yeah so your chefs here there's 30 of them yeah 30, yeah, 30 a day yeah and yeah. they'll all work three-ish days a week yeah three and a half yeah three doubles on single so how how many days do you work a week I do four I try four days on wow three days off yeah. wow that's yeah. almost luxurious it is, it Compared is. But equally, I'm, I'm 40, 40, yeah, 40, <laughs> what am I now? So, you know, you're getting old, we have to get the thing where you're getting on 41. Um, but, um, you probably earned it. it need, but. Yeah, but also, it needs to, it's all, yeah, it needs to be sustainable. And, yeah. and uh, it wasn't like, you know, the beginning, working five doubles or, you know, even six. And it's also a sign of probably poor. Yeah. management or time management you know if i'm if i'm 50 years old and still working 80 hours a week then something you know something isn't yeah isn't yeah. right equally it's something that i also still feel guilty about but there's a level of acclimatization mm. that happens with doing a little bit less but like i said i want it to be sustainable and i want to keep enjoying yeah. it and i'd rather work a bit less and be able to do it for longer uh than than to burn out quite right you've got to keep enjoying it and equally like I said, I've got to be, uh, you know, I've got a wife and and two kids. I want to see them. I want to spend time with, with them. My my footprint on this earth shouldn't just be in the kitchen. Yeah. And where do you eat? Do you still eat pret sandwiches? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit less now. Um, but uh, yeah, now and again, um, I'd say 
There's a Pret on the corner opposite. <laughs> there it's is. Right there. It does insane business. I was going to say, I, yeah. it's always rammed. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so if I'm, there's a little restaurant near us uh, called Six Portland Road. It's just off Holland Park Avenue. Very cute little neighbour bistro, yeah. like going there. Uh, keen to go to Fiend on Portobello Road. My mm-hmm. friend Chris Denny, he's just set that place up. Looks like a lot of fun. I haven't been yet, but yeah. desperate to go. Uh Smith and Orlensky, the steakhouse yeah. rules. Nice. Come and go. Rules, quite like old classic. school. Yeah, nice. old school. Old people, you know, old school is undervalued. These are these sort of gems hiding in plain yeah. sight, uh, where time stands still, and they have yeah. that pro- yeah, like proper restaurant feel. I, I love them. So I'm, I'm, I generally don't go to whatever the latest place no. is. I will get there eventually, but um, I'll take my precious time. Yeah, but yeah. It's it's a thing that I I guess is good for me because. Restaurant still feels like a treat mm. to yeah. me. So, and it probably does to a lot more people now following the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, I think eating out has regained its its currency. I think it had been taken for granted a little bit. And it's a little window of luxury and, yeah. and kind of the best of human existence if you're with loved ones and having a, a shared immersive experience where you're all, yeah, having a good time and conversing. It doesn't get doesn't get better. You have a great meal out. It's it's a memory that you'll you'll have for life. So, um, and that could be at Hyde. It could be, you know, it could be a burger and, yeah. and chips. You know, but it's uh, yeah, it's good that it's a luxury once again. Yeah, amazing, Ollie. You've got to go make some lunch. I do. People. I do need. To Thank stop you talking. so much. <laughs> no, we've absolutely loved it. And there's so much more we could talk about. But I really appreciate it. It's so lovely to meet you properly. Yeah, thank you very and, much um, for having me. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Will do. Cheers, thank you. Cool. Well, if you enjoyed that episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast, you'll almost certainly love the Gentleman's Journal magazine, the world's finest dispatch from the front line of luxury, entrepreneurship and style. In fact, lucky podcast listeners like you now get 20% off our annual subscription. Just enter the code POD20 at thegentlemansjournal.com to find out more.